Um, I'm going to be reading the Bible for us. I'm reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, and it's on page 1,201 in that Bible, but 1,203 in mine. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. The second reading uh, comes from Roman, Romans 12 um, and can be found in 1,123 in the Church Bibles. So Romans 12, 1 to verse 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body, bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Well, friends, we're going to be working our way through uh, that passage from 1 Peter chapter 4, so it would be good to have that open in front of you. Page 1203, if you've got one of the Bibles from the church. Uh, today we're going to be talking about serving one another and uh, part of that we're going to be talking about serving one another by loving and caring for each other. And uh, I want to share with you a story about when I failed Pastoral Care 101. Uh, I tried to be a loving servant but in reality I epically failed now, I saw this person that was involved in this story just a few weeks ago and I asked her for permission to tell this story. She said, yeah, that's cool, go right ahead. That was funny. So here we go. Um, this, this young lady had had a significant health problem some 12 months earlier, uh, which she needed surgery for. She had recovered from and 12 months later, she needed to go and have a scan to make sure everything was still okay. So you can imagine she was a bit nervous. She was hoping that, you know, things hadn't come back and grown or anything like that. 
And so on the morning that she was going into hospital to have this scan, I thought, well, I'll do the lovely thing. I'll send her a message of support and love and, and assure her of my prayers. And then as I was writing the text, I, I even impressed myself because it came to mind, it was probably God, it came to mind that I remember she said in a Bible study sometime earlier that her favourite Bible verse was 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 is, is, is a lovely verse. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's perfect for the situation, isn't it? You know, in the words of Donald Trump, I was going to win and I was going to keep on winning. <laughs> the only problem was that instead of writing 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 in the text, I wrote 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Yeah. So, within a few minutes, I realised my mistake, right? And I was, I, was, I was horrified. What have I done? Uh, my, my, my easy pastoral care win are just... This is terrible. So, I quickly messaged her again. I apologise, but I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cause you any offence. I didn't mean to upset you. you know, I remembered that your favourite verse was 1 Peter. It was just a typo. I knew it was chapter 5, but I wrote chapter 4. And she just wrote back a simple message. Yeah. I did think the end of all things is near sounded a bit grim. <laughs> well, thankfully, she forgave me and we laugh about it now and the scan was clear. Uh, today, we're looking at these few verses in 1 Peter which begin with the words, the end of all things is near. They become the driving force for the rest of what Peter says in, in his letter. We're only going to look at the first few verses. And much of what follows speaks of how important it is for us to love and care for one another as the end approaches. Now, if you're a student, you will know that the end is coming. And more than likely, you're working feverishly away now, trying to finish off your, your last assignments and, and get ready, sit your exams, do all that sort of stuff. And the approach of the end determines your behaviour now. Well, more broadly for us, the end of all things is near. Jesus is returning, this world is going to be destroyed and the new creation will be revealed. So what effect should that have on our lives now? Well, Peter says in these few verses, uh, verses 7 to 11, we ought to do a number of things. We ought to pray with sanity, we ought to love one another, we should practice hospitality and we should exercise the gifts of speaking and serving and do it all for the glory of God. Now, what's at stake if we don't do that? What if we don't do it? What's it matter? Well, with the end, of, the, the end of all things approaching, it sort of gives an urgency, doesn't there, to making sure we stick with Jesus. Because in a world in which Christians are persecuted, it's possible we might fall away because of persecution. In a world that puts its faith and trust in a whole bunch of other gods and idols, we might be seduced into following them and fall away from God. It could be that we give in to the lies that people tell us that God and His promises are not trustworthy. Why would you believe in those things? And we doubt God and reject His Word. And so as the end approaches, rather than just let each other sort of fend for themselves... We need to get around each other and encourage one another to keep going, keep persevering for Jesus, keep sticking with him. So we begin in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled 
so that you can pray. What does it mean to be clear-minded and self-controlled? Well, I think if you look at the opposite end of the spectrum, you can work your way backwards. It's the opposite of being drunk or affected by drugs. Yeah, those things that make you lose your your self-control, your inhibitions, the control of your tongue, perhaps. If you've ever tried to have a conversation with a drunk person, you will know the futility of it. Drunk people lack reason and thoughtfulness. Being a Christian, though, means thinking and using your mind and being rational and considered. It means knowing who God is and, and what God's done for us. It means having a big picture perspective and, and knowing that there's more to life than just this world that I can see immediately in front of me. I'm not intoxicated with this world, I'm not intoxicated with its idols or with its gods, but I know the one true God, I know Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, and I live to fulfil my desire to see him glorified as Lord and Saviour in every community. What's that got to do with my prayers? Well, it means when I pray, I speak to him thoughtfully and rationally. I pray for his concerns, not just mine. I don't ramble on like a drunkard. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Have a clear mind about God and his purposes. Well, then Peter says in verse 8, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And I've got no doubt that when Peter wrote those words, he was reflecting on on two things. He's probably reflecting on a lot of things, but two things, perhaps. Firstly, he would have been thinking about his own experience of Jesus' love and forgiveness. For you remember the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him into the, the outer courtyard where he was being tried. And what happened there? He denied three times that he even knew Jesus, just as Jesus had predicted he would after Peter boldly stated, well, if I take you, I'm going with you. And then a few days later, Jesus spoke to him. And the relationship was restored. So I'm sure that would have been in Peter's mind when he wrote these words. Also, too, Peter would have been remembering the things that Jesus had taught while he was following him around. And one of those things was, you remember? Jesus said, a new command I give to you. Love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. You see, our love and devotion to Jesus is broadcast to the world by how we love one another. You see, if the world sees us loving each other, it speaks volumes for the glory of Jesus. But if the world sees us arguing and bickering and and taking pot shots at one another, then they will look on us with great cynicism. Now, the broad context of 1 Peter is the difficulty of living the Christian life in a world that's hostile to the gospel, where persecution constantly hangs over our heads. I reckon Peter knows that times of stress often bring out the worst in people so that they say things and do things they wouldn't typically say and do. And so he's encouraging people here to, yeah, times are tough for Christians, but love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, in this regard, our church family is an extension of our family at home where we tend to practice love like this more naturally. Now, I know that doesn't happen in all homes, it doesn't happen all the time, but often it does. 
So what I want you to do is look up, look around the room, look at people. Uh, that's nowhere near as awkward as it was at 10 o'clock. That was really weird. <laughs> These are the people whom God says we are to love deeply. Now, the word deeply is uh, better translated as earnestly or strenuously. In other words, we're to deliberately work hard at it and to do it well. Now, God has chosen us. We don't necessarily choose each other, but either way, we're called to love one another. And you might think there are people here who are a little bit weird, perhaps, or don't know names, um, who are difficult to talk to, or you might naturally not, not choose to spend time with if you had more of a choice. But you know what? God sent his son to die for them just like he did for you. You're not better than anyone. You are no better than anyone else in this room. Jesus died for them as much as he died for you. And our love for one another characterises our understanding of God's love for us. Now, since we're all sinful people, there will always be relational difficulties, I understand that, which means there will always be a need for love and forgiveness. But our love for one another will cover over a multitude of sins. The end of all things is near, so treat each other in the same way God treats you. Love one another earnestly. That's all well and good. How do we express this love? Well, Peter goes on to give us two ways. Firstly, through hospitality, and secondly, by speaking and serving each other or with the gifts God has given us. Firstly, verse 9. He writes, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, in the first century, hospitality meant more than just inviting someone over for a meal or for coffee. It usually meant providing a bed and food for travellers or providing a home for congregations to meet in. And it could be expensive and it could well be inconvenient. That's in that context. What, what does hospitality look like in our context? Well, it's more than having people into your home for a meal. It, it obviously includes that, which is why Hospitality Weekend, which many of us have been on uh, this weekend, is great. But it's so much more than that too. Let me ask you a question. Do you have to own a home to offer hospitality? Well, there are advantages to owning your own home. It allows you the absolute freedom to invite people over or, or to host a ministry or a group. Perhaps you could even think now about whether you could host one of the students from Townsville who will be here next month for a few days for the Jesus Unwrapped mission. But owning a home is not essential for lots of hospitality can be done outside the home. For example, you can include other people when you're going out somewhere. Or you can offer someone a lift or you can invite them to church or to Bible study. You could go on a roster to provide food, supper after church, night church cafe, that sort of thing. Or you could be a welcomer and welcome people in through our door each Sunday night and offer to help them or point them in the right direction if they need help with anything. Hospitality also includes talking to people after church and to all people, not just your friends. It includes welcoming and accepting everyone who walks through these doors without favour or discrimination. God has welcomed us into his family and if you remember, he did it while we were still sinners. So we need to treat one another 
the same way. The end of all things is near. Therefore, offer hospitality without grumbling. That's one way we can express our earnest love for one another. Another way of expressing our earnest love for one another is by serving one another. You see there in verse 10? It says, each one should use whatever gift we have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Now, there's a number of things that immediately stand out from those verses. Firstly, uh, as we saw last week, each one of us is given gifts by God's grace. Therefore, we all have something to offer one another. But gifts are also given to us in various forms. We're not all the same. We're not all gifted the same way, for that would be really boring and extremely limiting. But God has blessed us with a variety of gifts. And that should be celebrated. Uh, Like we heard in Ephesians last week, Peter mentions gifts of speaking. We speak the very words of God to each other. But here in chapter 4, Peter also broadens out the use of God's gifts to include serving. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. We're to use the gifts that God gives us to serve others. Now notice Peter doesn't specify particular gifts in this instance, so once again it's more about our attitude and our willingness to serve than it is about the gift itself. And I think that's why he says, do it with the strength God provides, because serving is costly. Serving is for the sake of others, which means it's not going to come to us easily or naturally. We're going to need his help to keep on doing it. Because, well, in the battle of anything really, you back self-interest because you know self-interest is always trying its hardest. Do it with the strength God provides, that'll help you to keep going. The thing that stands out among all the passages where gifts are spoken of are not the gifts per se, but that they are used in service of others. So here Peter says it quite clearly, verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. That's pretty easy to get, isn't it? But it's similar with all the other passages in the New Testament as well. Last week in Ephesians, we were urged to use the speaking gifts God gives us to build the body to maturity in Christ. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, he he lifts gifts and speaks about the metaphor of the body. And immediately after, Paul explains that we're all members of one body, comes, comes the famous chapter on love, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. Well, you do understand, don't you, that 1 Corinthians 13 was not actually written with weddings in mind. Instead, it was written to a rebuke, as a rebuke to a church that was fixated on gifts and on performance. And Paul needed to write to them and slap them around a bit and go, love one another, it's not about you. Similarly, in Romans 12, which we also heard read a little bit earlier, after Paul speaks of how we're to use our gifts to serve the body of Christ come these words. He writes, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. You see, there's a consistent message emerging in bright shining lights, isn't there? God doesn't give gifts in order that attention will be drawn to the person exercising them. It's not about the gift. It's about using the gift for others. And so we shouldn't use our gifts for ourselves 
or to justify ourselves or to fulfill ourselves or for our own acceptance or to establish our own identity or because we think if we serve longer than other people, we're better or to make ourselves somehow look holier in comparison to other people. That's not a reason to use your gifts. Instead, we use them to serve others for other people's benefit. We are to serve one another, build one another as we build the church. Therefore, we should never evaluate ourselves based on what gifts we do or don't have. And we shouldn't judge others on the performance of their gift. Instead, our mandate is to serve one another. And if that's true, we should be evaluating ourselves based on whether or not we're using the gifts that God has given us to serve others or not. That should be the question we ask. Our gifts of speaking to build each other to maturity in Christ and our gifts of serving for the sake of others. The question we should be asking is, am I using the gifts God has given me to serve others? Now, if you're not and you want to work out how to do it, please do come and speak to Sean or I afterwards and we can have a chat about it. The New Testament's very clear. We are to use our gifts to serve others. What's the overarching motive for all this? We see it in verse 11. Let me read from verse 10. It says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that... In all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, when you read that, you can see just how warped it is to think I exercise the gift for my own benefit or glory, for my own acclamation. We don't do it for us, we do it for God. We do it for the glory of Jesus. The end of all things is near. When that time comes, everybody will see the glory of God. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the meantime, as believers, we have the opportunity to shine the light of the glory of God now by our dependence on God in prayer, by the earnest love we have for one another, expressed in forgiveness and covering over a multitude of sins, by offering hospitality to one another without grumbling and by serving one another in word and deed. This is why serving is one of our four priorities in our desire to see Jesus honoured as Lord and Saviour in every community. For as we serve one another with the gifts God has given us, He is glorified. And that's a great thing. So, since the end of all things is near, wouldn't it be great for our church to be known by the willingness of our people to give themselves in service to one another because of our deep love for one another, all for the sake 
of the glory of God. How about we commit ourselves to God in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love poured out for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he served us and gave his life as a ransom for us. Father, we pray that motivated by his love for us, we would love and care for one another, that you would help us to use the gifts that you've given us to to speak to one another and to serve one another, and that we would do it all for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.